0: Chapter twelve. Part two of Persuasion. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Persuasion by Jane Austen. Chapter twelve. Part two. There was no wound, no blood, no visible bruise. But her eyes were closed; she breathed not; her face was like death. The horror of the moment to all who stood around! Captain Wentworth, who had caught her up, knelt with her in his arms, looking on her with a face as pallid as her own, in an agony of silence. "'She is dead! she is dead!' screamed Mary, catching hold of her husband, and contributing with his own horror to make him immovable. And in another moment, Henrietta, sinking under the conviction, lost her senses too, and would have fallen on the steps, but for Captain Bennick and Anne, who caught and supported her between them. "'Is there no one to help me?' were the first words which burst from Captain Wentworth in a tone of despair, and as if all his own strength were gone. "'Go to him! Go to him!' cried Anne. "'For heaven's sake, go to him! I can support her myself! Leave me and go to him! Rub her hands! Rub her temples! Here are salts! Take them! Take them!' Captain Benwick obeyed, and Charles at the same moment disengaging himself from his wife, they were both with him, and Louisa was raised up and supported more firmly between them, and everything was done that Anne had prompted, but in vain while Captain Wentworth, staggering against the wall for his support, exclaimed in the bitterest agony,—'Oh, God, her father and mother!' "'A surgeon!' said Anne. He caught the word. It seemed to rouse him at once, and saying only,—'True, true, a surgeon this instant,' was darting away, when Anne eagerly suggested,—'Captain Bennick! Would it not be better for Captain Bennick? He knows where a surgeon is to be found!' Every one capable of thinking felt the advantage of the idea and in a moment it was all done in rapid moments captain benwick had resigned the poor corpse-like figure entirely to the brother's care and was off for the town with the utmost rapidity as to the wretched party left behind it could scarcely be said which of the three who were completely rational was suffering most captain wentworth anne or charles who really a very affectionate brother hung over Louisa with sobs of grief, and could only turn his eyes from one sister to see the other in a state as insensible, or to witness the hysterical agitations of his wife, calling on him for help which he could not give. Anne, attending with all the strength and zeal and thought which instinct supplied to Henrietta, still tried at intervals to suggest comfort to the others, tried to quiet Mary, to animate Charles, to assuage the feelings of Captain Wentworth. Both seemed to look to her for directions. "'Anne! Anne!' cried Charles, "'what is to be done next? What in heaven's name is to be done next?' Captain Wentworth's eyes were also turned towards her. "'Had she not better be carried to the inn?' "'Yes, I am sure. Carry her gently to the inn.' "'Yes, yes, to the inn,' repeated Captain Wentworth, comparatively collected, and eager to be doing something. "'I will carry her myself. Musgrove, take care of the others.' By this time, the report of the accident had spread among the workmen and boatmen about the cob, and many were collected near them, to be useful if wanted, at any rate to enjoy the sight of a dead young lady, nay, two dead young ladies, for it proved twice as fine as the first report. To some of the best-looking of these good people, Henrietta was consigned, for though partially revived, she was quite helpless, and in this manner, Anne walking by her side, and Charles attending to his wife, they set forward, treading back with feelings unutterable, the ground which so lately, so very lately, and so light of heart, they had passed along. They were not off the cob before the Harvels met them. Captain Bennet had been seen flying by their house, with a countenance which showed something to be wrong, and they had set off immediately, informed and directed as they passed towards the spot. Shocked as Captain Harville was, he brought senses and nerves that could be instantly useful, and a look between him and his wife decided what was to be done. She must be taken to their house, all must go to their house, and await the surgeon's arrival there. They would not listen to scruples. He was obeyed, they were all beneath his roof, and while Louisa, under Mrs. Harville's direction, was conveyed upstairs and given possession of her own bed, assistance, cordials, restoratives, was applied by her husband to all who needed them. Louisa had once opened her eyes, but soon closed them again without apparent consciousness. This had been proof of life, however, of service to her sister, and Henrietta, though perfectly incapable of being in the same room with Louisa, was kept by the agitation of hope and fear from a return of her own insensibility. Mary too was growing calmer. The surgeon was with them almost before it had seemed possible. They were sick with horror while he examined. But he was not hopeless. The head had received a severe contusion, but he had seen greater injuries recovered from. He was by no means hopeless. He spoke cheerfully. That he did not regard it as a desperate case, that he did not say a few hours must end it, was at first felt beyond the hope of most, and the ecstasy of such a reprieve, the rejoicing, deep and silent, after a few fervent ejaculations of gratitude to heaven had been offered, may be conceived. The tone, the look, with which, thank God, was uttered by Captain Wentworth, Anne was sure could never be forgotten by her, nor the sight of him afterwards, as he sat near a table, leaning over it with folded arms and face concealed, as if overpowered by the various feelings of his soul, and trying, by prayer and reflection, to calm them. Louisa's limbs had escaped. There was no injury but to the head. It now became necessary for the party to consider what was best to be done, as to their general situation. They were now able to speak to each other and consult. That Louisa must remain where she was, however distressing to her friends to be involving the Harvilles in such trouble, did not admit a doubt. Her removal was impossible. The Harvilles silenced all scruples, and as much as they could, all gratitude. They had looked forward and arranged everything, before the others began to reflect. Captain Bennock must give up his room to them, and get another bed elsewhere, and the whole was settled. They were only concerned that the house could accommodate no more, and yet perhaps, by putting the children away in the maid's room, or swinging a cot somewhere, they could hardly bear to think of not finding room for two or three besides, supposing they might wish to stay. Though with regard to any attendance on Miss Musgrove, there need not be the least uneasiness in leaving her to Mrs Harville's care entirely. Mrs. Harville was a very experienced nurse, and her nursery-maid, who had lived with her long, and gone about with her everywhere, was just such another. Between these two, she could want no possible attendance by day or night, and all this was said with a truth and sincerity of feeling irresistible. Charles, Henrietta, and Captain Wentworth were the three in consultation, and for a little while it was only an interchange of perplexity and terror uppercross the necessity of some one's going to uppercross the news to be conveyed how it could be broken to mr and mrs musgrove the lateness of the morning an hour already gone since they ought to have been off the impossibility of being in tolerable time at first they were capable of nothing more to the purpose than such exclamations but after a while captain wentworth exerting himself said we must be decided and without the loss of another minute every minute is valuable. Some one must resolve on being off for Uppercross instantly. Musgrove, either you or I must go." Charles agreed, but declared his resolution of not going away. He would be as little encumbrance as possible to Captain and Mrs. Harville, but as to leaving his sister in such a state, he neither ought nor would—so far it was decided—and Henrietta at first declared the same. She, however, was soon persuaded to think differently the usefulness of her staying, she who had not been able to remain in Louisa's room, or to look at her without sufferings which made her worse than helpless. She was forced to acknowledge that she could do no good, yet was still unwilling to be away, till, touched by the thought of her father and mother, she gave it up. She consented. She was anxious to be at home. The plan had reached this point, when Anne, coming quietly down from Louisa's room, could not but hear what followed, for the parlour door was open. Then it is settled, Musgrove," cried Captain Wentworth, that you stay and that I take your sister home. But as to the rest, as to the others, if one stays to assist Mrs Harville, I think it need be only one. Mrs Charles Musgrove will, of course, wish to get back to her children, but if Anne will stay, no one so proper, so capable as Anne." She paused a moment, to recover from the emotion of hearing herself so spoken of. The other two warmly agreed with what he said, and she then appeared. "'You will stay, I am sure. You will stay a nurser," cried he, turning to her and speaking with a glow, and yet a gentleness which seemed almost restoring the past. She coloured deeply, and he recollected himself and moved away. She expressed herself most willing, ready, happy, to remain. It was what she had been thinking of, and wishing to be allowed to do. A bed on the floor in Louise's room would be sufficient for her, if Mrs. Harville would but think so. One thing more, and all seemed arranged though it was rather desirable that Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove should be previously alarmed by some share of delay, yet the time required by the Uppercross horses to take them back would be a dreadful extension of suspense, and Captain Wentworth proposed, and Charles Musgrove agreed, that it would be much better for him to take a chaise from the inn, and leave Mr. Musgrove's carriage and horses to be sent home the next morning early, when there would be the further advantage of sending an account of Louisa's night. Captain Wentworth now hurried off to get everything ready on his part, and to be soon followed by the two ladies. When the plan was made known to Mary, however, there was an end of all peace in it. She was so wretched and so vehement, complained so much of injustice in being expected to go away instead of Anne, Anne who was nothing to Louisa, while she was her sister, and had the best right to stay in Henrietta's stead. Why was not she to be as useful as Anne? and to go home without Charles, too, without her husband—no, it was too unkind! And, in short, she said more than her husband could long withstand, and as none of the others could oppose when he gave way, there was no help for it. The change of Mary for Anne was inevitable. Anne had never submitted more reluctantly to the jealous and ill-judging claims of Mary. But so it must be, and they set off for the town—Charles taking care of his sister, and Captain Benwick attending to her. She gave a moment's recollection, as they hurried along, to the little circumstances which the same spots had witnessed earlier in the morning. There she had listened to Henrietta's schemes for Dr. Shirley's leaving Uppercross. Farther on she had first seen Mr. Elliot. A moment seemed all that could now be given to any one but Louisa, or those who were wrapped up in her welfare. Captain Bennick was most considerately attentive to her and, as united as they all seemed by the distress of the day, she felt an increasing degree of good-will towards him, and a pleasure even in thinking that it might, perhaps, be the occasion of continuing their acquaintance. Captain Wentworth was on the watch for them, and a chaise in foreign waiting, stationed for their convenience in the lowest part of the street. But his evident surprise and vexation at the substitution of one sister for the other, the change in his countenance, the astonishment, the expressions begun and suppressed, with which Charles was listened to, made but a mortifying reception of Anne, or must at least convince her that she was valued only as she could be useful to Louisa. She endeavoured to be composed, and to be just. Without emulating the feelings of an Emma towards her Henry, she would have attended on Louisa with a zeal above the common claims of regard for his sake, and she hoped he would not long be so unjust as to suppose she would shrink unnecessarily from the office of a friend. In the meanwhile she was in the carriage he had handed them both in, and placed himself between them, and in this manner, under these circumstances, full of astonishment and emotion to Anne, she quitted Lyme. How long the stage would pass! How it was to affect their manners, what was to be their sort of intercourse, she could not foresee. It was all quite natural, however. He was devoted to Henrietta, always turning towards her, and when he spoke at all, always with the view of supporting her hopes and raising her spirits. In general, his voice and manner were studiously calm. To spare Henrietta from agitation seemed the governing principle. Once only, when she had been grieving over the last ill-judged, ill-fated walk to the cob, bitterly lamenting that it had ever been thought of, he burst forth, as if wholly overcome. "'Don't talk of it! don't talk of it!' he cried. Oh, God, that I had not given way to her at the fatal moment! Had I done as I ought! But so eager and so resolute! Dear sweet Louisa!" Anne wondered whether it ever occurred to him now, to question the justness of his own previous opinion as to the universal felicity and advantage of firmness of character, and whether it might not strike him that, like all other qualities of the mind, it should have its proportions and limits. She thought it could scarcely escape him to feel that a persuadable temper might sometimes be as much in favour of happiness as a very resolute character. They got on fast. Anne was astonished to recognise the same hills and the same object so soon. Their actual speed, heightened by some dread of the conclusion, made the road appear but half as long as on the day before. It was growing quite dusk, however, before they were in the neighbourhood of Uppercross, and there had been total silence among them for some time. Henrietta leaning back in the corner, with a shawl over her face, giving the hope of her having cried herself to sleep, when, as they were going up their last hill, Anne found herself all at once addressed by Captain Wentworth. In a low, cautious voice he said, "'I have been considering what we had best do. She must not appear at first, she could not stand it. I have been thinking whether you had not better remain in the carriage with her, while I go in and break it to Mr. and Mrs. Musgrove. Do you think this is a good plan?' She did. He was satisfied, and said no more. But the remembrance of the appeal remained a pleasure to her, as a proof of friendship, and of deference for her judgment a great pleasure; and when it became a sort of parting proof, its value did not lessen. When the distressing communication at Uppercross was over, and he had seen the father and mother quite as composed as could be hoped, and the daughter all the better for being with them, he announced his intention of returning in the same carriage to Lyme; and when the horses were baited, he was off. End of chapter twelve, part two.